Hello and welcome to the first episode of the One Football Podcast of the 2023-24 season. It's been a long summer, but we're refreshed and ready to go for what is sure to be another exciting campaign across Europe and indeed the world of football. I'm Dan Burke and I've got three excellent guests joining me on the show today. First up to talk all things Premier League, it's Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello, Dan. Hello, Joel. How are you doing? Good summer? Yeah, I can't complain, mate. Chilled. Nice to get away from the football. Good to have it back. <laughs> got some nice sun on your buns, did you? I can't say that. I'm a, I'm a very ginger man, so I never get a <laughs> sun on the buns. <laughs> uh, well, uh, regular listeners will know, and uh, you know, probably from from hearing your accent, will know that you're an Everton fan. So um, you must be looking forward to the for the to the new season. <laughs> That's absolutely slanderous, that isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, you are you are in fact a Liverpool fan. Um, how does it feel to have Liverpool back in your life? I mean, I was very excited up until kickoff on Sunday when we played Chelsea, and then as soon as kickoff happened, I forgot that um, I get very stressed and anxious, and all being really worried about the football. And it was a horrible ninety minutes, up and down emotions. And uh, then afterwards, I was like, "Oh, it's great to have the Barclays back." But uh, um, in terms of Liverpool season in general. It's one of those where you sort of mix of being excited and sort of worried about what's what's to come because they haven't probably done enough business in the transfer winners they should have done. Um, and I think what Sunday showed is what all Liverpool fans have been sort of expecting all summer really is that we look very good going forward and look very threatening going forward. But the worries coming in midfield and, and, and going backwards really where I mean, Chelsea played us off the park in the second half and I managed to get in numerous occasions and that is, you know, albeit a little bit concerning. But uh, it's the ride that we take part on, mate, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say Chelsea have played us off the park in the transfer market, which is uh, quite appropriate as well, isn't it, really? If, uh, <laughs> thing, I, I, isn't it? It's like their whole summer has been dedicated to trolling Liverpool, really. It's uh, <laughs> it's, been, it's been quite strange. It's been quite fraught from Liverpool fans. Obviously, you missed out on Moises Caicedo and Romeo Lavia, both of them opting to join Chelsea. It does look like you've, uh, you've got at least one new midfielder lined up now then. What do you know about uh, Wataru Endo? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's caught a lot of people by surprise. I don't think anyone expected Liverpool to sell 29-year-old Fabinho because they're worried about the concern about his legs going and then replace him with a 30-year-old player from the Bundesliga who's you know, pretty much played a Stuttgart in the Bundesliga who've been pretty much fighting for relegation every time, every season they've been in it since they come back up. And, um, and, I, and I think it's, you know, it's been one of those, I, I would say on my Twitter timeline and, from speaking to various of Liverpool fans, they've uh, gone down like a lead balloon, I would say. Um, oh, really? But, yeah, but 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 I mean, for me personally, because you know, you know, watch pretty much you know a lot of the Bundesliga, and, and I've liked this guy for for a long time, and I feel like a bit of a, a hipster trying to fight his case to, to Liverpool fans, last, you know, over the last couple of you know twelve hours, let's say, because you know, I, I do, I, I think he would be you know a, a decent addition to to the team. I don't think he's going to come in and uh, you know. Be have the impact that Moises Casado probably would have had, let's say, because when you sort of think about players in that position, like the number six midfield position right now, you've got you know Rodri is probably the best in the world. Two of many, he's you know got potential to be there, and Casado as well. But after that, I don't know. The market's very it's a stretch for a lot of good but not quality additions, and I think Endo's probably in that sort of bracket where. You know, I can I can see he has a certain skill set that our midfield midfield options don't have right now in terms of being able to sort of win the ball back and, and take it under pressure and um, you know offer some protection to to the, the, the defense, which you know the likes of McAllister, suppose that I don't think uh, you know our quality players, but I don't think they can they can do that, and I don't think that they should be required to do that. So I think Endo can complement them quite well now, but I think the the concern from the fan base at the moment is that. You know, I think Endo could be appreciated as a good sign if someone else comes in. Um, you know, if, if Endo's maybe like a backup option. And I, and I think that's maybe being a bit harsh to him. But the consensus right now is Liverpool, you know, they've just gone from trying to spend £110 million on Manchester <laughs> you know, spending, you know, 15 on a 30-year-old from the Bundesliga. So I can understand that. But I, I think he'll do all right. And, I, and, and I'm, you know, quietly confident he'd be a nice addition. But I think Liverpool still want, you know, some fans still want, you know, if the Decore comes in from Palace or yeah. 
uh, that that you know that sort of player. I, th- I think they really want that, and I think the worry will be there if they don't pull off someone like that. Yeah, I was going to ask about Decore. There's some talk about him today. Seventy million pounds being talked about. I think Liverpool are hoping they can negotiate Palace down a bit. I mean, he's a player, young player, came in from Lons, I believe it was, to to Crystal Palace last summer. I remember there's a lot of excitement about him. Didn't really sort of set the world alight at Palace last season, I don't think. But but no, nobody did really. Um, yeah. Is that a, a signing that would uh, get your pulse racing a little bit more? <laughs> I don't think Paul's racing, but the thing is about <laughs> the, the type of sign we need to make now um, is that, yeah, yeah, he didn't, he didn't set the world like a palace, did he? But I, I don't think Liverpool necessarily need to buy someone who's going to set the world alight now because I think you know, the, 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 the team is very top heavy in terms of forwards and in terms of difference makers in the final third. When you think about the five attackers they've got in Nunez, Jota, Diaz, Gakpo, Salah, and, um, you know, McAllister and Sabozlai, I think, can can bring bring goals and, and bring assists and that kind of thing, and even Curtis Jones. But they haven't got the source of, you know, there's always, you know, that saying, which I think is a tribute to, to Bill Shankly or Alex Ferguson, one, one of the good lads in football, actually, mm. um, was saying, like, you need, like, you know, what, the, some players to play the piano and then the majority to carry the piano. And, and I think <laughs> Liverpool don't have the, we have our Elton John, but we don't have the guy to, to lift and carry the piano. And I think they need to get that person now. So we're sort of, not speaking metaphorically for a second, sort of see someone to do dirty work to, to get the ball back and, and pass it to the good lads, basically. And I yeah. think Liverpool don't have that right now. They you know they had it in Fabinho, they're trying to get a casino. Uh, I think Endo can come on and be that kind of, kind of player, but um, Decore is probably in that bracket as well. Probably, you know, I'm, I'm probably got a higher ceiling because of his age and um, and that. And the thing is about the fee, I mean, seventy million for a player who's had one season in the Prem at Crystal Palace. You know, is it, is alarming. But the thing is that the market for that kind of player is there now. In it, hundred million for Declan Rice, hundred million for. Casado and, and the fingers for Liverpool specifically, they're showing their hand a bit by trying to pay the mm. money for Casado. And I think every club knows, every club in Europe and the world knows Liverpool need to play in that position and nobody have the money to pay it. So, like, okay, lads, sorry, you're going to give us 70 or 80. Sorry about that. Yeah, I think I think Premier League clubs in general have shown their hand a little bit now, haven't they? And uh, you know, it's uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, players going for a bit of a premium um, these days. Funny you mentioned Liverpool's Elton John there. I assumed Liverpool's Elton John was Pete Bock. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think he's got another big season ahead of him, hasn't he? I can't wait to see what what he's going to produce this year. Best thing to come out of the city since the Beatles. <laughs> Uh, I've asked you uh, at the weekend, actually, whether you thought Liverpool could win the title this season. You said no. I assume your answer is still no. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. I think you know Liverpool are going through a bit of a transition season, to be honest, and I, and I don't think they'll be. I don't think they'll be close to winning the title, to, to be honest with you. And I, I don't want to write off a season before it's even really begun, but mm. j- just because of the work they've had to do, the players they've lost, and you know Henderson, Milner, Fabinho, big around Firmino as well, big around dressing room, you know, leaders of the team, and. He played a huge role in us being successful for you know over the past five years, and I think that's a is a, a lot has changed over the summer, and it's still changing. And I think it's a lot to to think uh, that Liverpool can go on and, and, and challenge after all all the changes that have been made, and and I think we should supporters should expect them to challenge, of course. But I think just trying to take a sort of realistic, pragmatic view when you think of the quality of, of City have just gone on and won everything in football. Mm. In the last four months, and, and you know Arsenal challenged rightly up until a certain point, and and have gone done good business in the market on, on paper. Um, I think I don't think Liverpool are near that level just yet, and I think speaking from an optimistic point of view, I, I think Liverpool will have a fun season. We are going to be fun to watch and fun to follow. Um, you know, I can see us beating teams four or five nil at times, but then also losing four or three the next <laughs> game. And, 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 that's, and that's a good journey, to be honest. To be honest. And, and I think the one thing I, I want most from the season is Liverpool to get back into the Champions League. And then when it comes to sort of April, May, um, towards the end of the season, I think we need to be having a conversation where it's like, OK, next season we can see Liverpool challenging. But for that to happen, we need to put the groundwork in now. And I, I don't think they could be able to switch it completely right now. But I think... You know, this is going to be like sort of a year, two year process, and, and then we see where we go at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, certainly not going to be boring at Anfield this season. Yeah, my big hot take when we did our uh, our Premier League production, uh, Premier League predictions for the One Football app uh, last week was that Arsenal will finish first and Liverpool will finish second, and Manchester City will finish 
third. Now, I don't, Do you I don't, still feel like that? I, d- I don't know, actually. I don't know if I felt like that at the time, really. Maybe I was just trying too hard to sort of like, you know, pull a hot take out of the bag. But um, <laughs> yeah, my, my feelings with City sort of sort of ebb and flow. You know, I think after after last season, after everything they achieved, I think there's going to be a bit of a drop-off. You know, I'm not expecting anything like what they produced last season. I think if they can win the Premier League title this year, uh, that'll be a fantastic achievement, having, you know, already won the Super Cup, of course. There are six trophies on offer for City this season with one already in the bag. So, you know, it's not a bad start, um, even though they were pretty poor in that game against Sevilla. But I just think, you know, losing De Bruyne, that's going to be an issue, a bit of a changeover in in uh, personnel, Mares and, and Gundogan leaving. Um, I just don't know if City are going to be that good. At the same time, you know, I... I no disrespect to Liverpool or anything, I'm not underestimating them, but I don't know if they've got what it takes to finish second either. And I do wonder if Arsenal want it a little bit too badly, whether they're going to burn themselves out with all this sort of emotional energy quite quickly. You know, every game for them, you know, even including that game against Nottingham Forest the other day, felt like a bit of a final, you know, and it, it, it gets tetchy towards the end when they can see that late goal. And I just wonder if every game's going to be like that for Arsenal. Are they going to be able to sustain themselves emotionally throughout the season? What, what do you reckon to that? It's it's interesting that because um, I, I can apply this from sort of when Liverpool were challenging City for, for the title. It did it did feel like from, from game one that you had to win every single game, and, and every game did honestly the cliche there, but it did feel like a final. But because of the standard and the quality of City, because you know they wouldn't drop off that much and. Not going to give up that many points, and I, and I remember the season Liverpool do win the league, nineteen twenty. City lose to Norwich, I think second or third game in, yeah. and I, I remember celebrating that like we just won the FA Cup or something, because <laughs> like, it felt it felt that that massive. And I remember I, and thinking I, we'd blown the title on that day as well, and wow, you know, lo and behold, we had just so yeah. It's wild to, to, for us both to be even thinking that, to be honest. So yeah. I, I think sort of, I wonder if Arsenal and Arsenal supporters have got into that situation now. where And, and because they got the, they went head to toe with you up until a certain point last season, they know that the, the margin for errors is so narrow, so small, that it that they, they sort of gone on to that journey. You saw, and you mentioned this when we spoke at the weekend about Aaron Ramsdale talking after the Community Shield win, when it was kind of like we've got over the mental block of beating mm. City. Or technically, lads, it was on penalties, so it <laughs> but it, it, it kind of felt like that. That's just to me that they they are going head. They know they can't drop too many points this season, and they are going heavy on it. And I, and I do wonder whether I, I think you're right to bring up the, the emotion of it and then how much it means to them that it, that could work against them. And I think it could, like last season, the way it went, could be a good sort of motivation and it could get them sort of they align their focus on winning the title and it could work in their favour but but it also it, it could be sort of Arteta is also a very emotional manager and that could also work against him in a way that yeah. sort of like okay maybe you sort of we need to keep a clear head in games you know let's say they go to you know Brentford I don't know when they're playing in the season but they go to Brentford in the middle of November or something and it's nil nil in the 80th minute and they need just to sort of keep calm and composed and just get that get that goal to get the win over the line. It's whether they can do that, and I'm not sure whether they can just yet. But the season will play out, and and we'll see it. But I think out of all of the potential title challenges in the city, I think they're the ones that are in the driver's seat for that. Yep, absolutely. And uh, and what about Chelsea? I mean, I kind of feel with the amount of money they've spent, they they almost have to be considered title yeah. contenders, or should be at least. You know, it should be kind of unacceptable if they're if they're not in and around the kind of conversation. Um, you know, spending a breaking transfer records left, right and centre. They have missed out on uh, Michael Olise today, which is an interesting one. He's uh, decided to stay at Crystal Palace and sign a new contract. But do you think there's a method to Chelsea's madness? I think if they didn't have the manager that they they have, I'd say no. But I think with Richard Pochettino being there and, you know, obviously the work he did at Spurs was incredible. And And he did that basically by building a team that was, you know, a very young team with, with less money, let's say. But, you know, Chelsea have spent a lot, a lot of money, but a lot of them are on young players with the seem to have high potential. And I think that works well for Pochettino. But whether there is a method to the madness completely, and time will tell. But the, the thing is to, to spend the money that you have, which you're looking at close to a billion Pounds since Todd Bowley come in as as owner, um, from still not to have like a sort of I would say outright number nine that is gonna, you know, it, it looks like he could guarantee them goals. It is, feels wild to me, and and it's sort of, you know, I don't want to be dismissive of the team, but sort of when I saw the team come out on Sunday before we played them, and you think taking what the money that they have in mind, um, 
was kind of like, well, I think that should be better, doesn't it? The team should look better than it <laughs> yeah. did. And obviously, like you said, they've got young players coming coming in there that they brought in, but I don't know. I, I feel like they should be, you know, we, we should be talking about Chelsea being title challengers like from, from day one. And I don't think anyone's had that conversation yet, obviously, because they finished 12th last season. But they've got a world-class manager, in, in my opinion, in there now. And they've you know, obviously had the funds. But it just feels like, I don't know, they're not quite there yet. And I, I don't think that, I, I, I wouldn't say they're going to be anywhere near challenging for the title. Could, could be pretty wrong uh, yeah. this season anyway. But again, it, we could be having a conversation towards the end of the year where you're like, okay, Chelsea, I need to spend another 300 million next or something. And they'll be sorted. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of Chelsea's finances and wouldn't, wouldn't pretend to. I just know they spent a fuck ton of money. Do you, do you sort of buy into this theory that some people have been peddling that maybe they are, well, Todd Bowley is aware that a transfer ban might be coming down the line at some point if they fail FFP and he's almost kind of not that bothered because it's like, well, if we buy all these young players now, a couple of years down the line, we won't need to sign anyone else because we'll have a, a young team that's starting to blossom. I mean, that midfield of Enzo Fernandez and Moises Caicedo with Romeo Lavia in return, you know, that's a pretty good young midfield, isn't it? That, that could really be something in, you know, two or three years. So I wonder if there is, a, you know, some kind of plan in place, even though it does seem crazy what they're doing. There could be something in that. Um, you know, obviously, we, we only, we'll have to see what happens in the future with that. You'd hope with the... You know, let's say they have done something wrong, and we, we don't know that. I mean, from the outside, it does look a bit a bit murky, to be honest. But um, you know, let, let's say they, they do end up being proved to have done something wrong with with, with their money, and in fact, with, with regards to financial fair play rules, you'd have to hope that you know, and a, a ban or whatever sort of punishment they get is is heavy enough to to you know to stop them doing it again, basically. Um, and, I, and I don't think that's, that's been enough. And, and, and the, the things about Chelsea, and I, I don't really think I should be talking about this because obviously I've come from a position where they just robbed two of our players. <laughs> so I'm, I'm obviously going to be a little bit bitter about that. But it, it does seem wild to me what they're doing. And it does feel like something that is a little bit illegal. But then <laughs> it's, it's clearly not because I don't think they'd be doing otherwise. But, you know, I actually do think... Some of the media look at uh, look at City and 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 I don't want to defend City in any way because I have got other opinions on that. But <laughs> I think they they kind of think City are what Chelsea are actually doing and what they've done in the transfer market. Like it, 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 let's say City mm. have been doing what Chelsea have been doing in the past two windows, there'll be a bit more fume about it than there is now. Um, yeah. But the thing is, the way trans, transfers make the, the business go round, don't they? And I think Chelsea absolutely on top role. You just love it, um, and I think they sort of apply into that business, and everyone can sort of turn away and say, "Oh, it's fun because they're buying players to spend yeah, the money." Yeah. But mm, I'm not too sure about it, mate. Yeah. It doesn't sit well with me. Yeah, I'm glad you made that point about City. I am gonna, just going to edit out the bit where you said you're not defending City and just make it sound like you absolutely were defending City. And I'll go, yeah, spot on. I agree with you. Yeah. I'll fight it. Don't worry. <laughs> now, the uh, the policy on the One Football podcast this season is going to be a little bit different in the past. We're not going to really talk uh, in depth about individual games for the most part. We're going to sort of focus on the bigger picture. And, you know, the Premier League season is only one match old. So uh, we're not going to dwell too much on it. But watching Manchester United on Monday night against Wolves... All right, they won the game. I thought they were pretty poor. Is that um, worrying signs for United fans, do you think? In that game? Too, I, too early to say because obviously they you know, brought in a few players and they need to let them settle. And I think Onana in, in goal changes the sort of the way they want to build up attacks and that kind of thing because De Gea you know, wasn't adept at playing out from the back and Onana's been brought in for, for that purpose. So I think it's it's a team that's maybe sort of you know it's got a lot of broken pieces that are trying to fit together right now. But um, I I would maybe be mildly concerned because you know obviously they go get top four last season, which is a successful first season for Ten Hag. But I've not and, and I don't want to judge them too early off one game this season. But speaking of, of sort of from Ten Hag's era as a whole so far, I've never been quite convinced by what he's doing. Um, and that is, you know, a balance against that. They've been really good at home. They've only lost one game at home under him, the first game of last season against Brighton. But I've, I've, I've always looked at him before. So I'm not quite sure what he's trying to do and, and how, you know, how are my United meant to score goals? Like, what, what is their purpose? And you sort of, when I, when I mean that, it sounds very basic, but what I mean is, you know, 
when Man City scored a goal, you can, you can picture what a Man City goal looks like or used to look like where he'd you know, work mm. around the box, pull it back and attack it from the six-yard box. Five-a-side goal, basically. It is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Essentially. Uh, and Liverpool just be wing-backs, Robertson, Alexander-Arnold into the box, cross, blah, blah, blah. But with, with United, it, it doesn't feel like there's a cohesive plan to what they're trying to do. And it feels like they are, they sort of get out of jail a lot because of individual brilliance because they do have you know, class players. Uh, you know, last year Rashford was in the form of his life and kept pulling them out of sticky situations. Fernandez is, is you know, jury's out on, on his quality of a player, but you know, he is someone that does get him out of a get him out of the hair every now and again, and and I, and I think can you know produce a, a wonder goal here and there. And you know, we got players like Casemiro and Varane, the experience and the winner mentality they've got, they can get them out of sticky situations too. But the thing is, I, I don't look at. The Ten Hag team at United and think, okay, this looks like you know his Ajax team or something. They're really good on the ball. They're really good at you know passing teams to death all the way around. Where they're sort of like they're really good at hitting teams in the counter attack. And, and I sort of looked at that on on Monday against Wolves. And again, don't want to judge my one game, but Wolves got through their midfield so easy. And mm. and you know I, I do wonder a knife through butter, wasn't it? Like <laughs> you, could, you could well say that. You know? The thing is, if a better team with better players in the final third or, or more concise players in the final third. United will lose that game 3-4-0. Mm-hmm. Again, again, it's early season struggles, even issues and that kind of thing. But the jury's still out on, on Ten Hag and Man United for me. And I'm not, I'm not quite sure they've done enough to say they should be challenging for the title this season. Yeah, yeah. And I also, this season, don't want to waste too much time talking about refereeing decisions. In fact, I'm thinking of having a, instead of a swear jar, we'll have a VAR jar. And every time <laughs> that gets brought up, we'll, uh, we'll we'll stick a euro in. So I'm going to make my contribution to the VAR jar here and say that was fucking scandalous, wasn't it? That, <laughs> that penalty decision against, that non-penalty decision against Onana the other night. I don't know how anybody who even considered themselves, who's ever watched a game of football before could look at that and go, that's not a penalty, but never mind. Um, just one more question before I let you go, Joel, is about Newcastle, who, for my money, were the most impressive team of the opening weekend with that fantastic uh, 5-1 win over Aston Villa. Sandro Tonali looks like a, a, a great addition to the Premier League, um, and Alexander Isaac had a uh, great game as well. What? Uh, how, how high is Newcastle's ceiling this year, do you think? Are we looking at a potential title challenger or maybe a dark horse for the Premier League title? I think their fans will think so. I'll be confident of doing so. Um, and going off the basis of Saturday, it just kind of felt like they just carried on from where they left, left off last season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've they've obviously they got the money that they have, but they, they've spent it really, really well. And their team at the moment, you look, know, they, they've got the physicality and defence, and and Sven Botman's really good at you know getting the ball out of defence to, to the to the attacking players, and their midfield is you know up there. Some of the probably one of the best midfielders in the league. We sort of think of the it's got everything, it's got strength, it's got pace, it's got technical ability. Um, you know, Alexander Isak, I was a bit concerned whether he would be able to translate his form from La Liga into the Premier League, but he's he, he's, he's phenomenal. He's been one of the mm-hmm. best strikers in the league since he's arrived and, and proves that again on, on Saturday against Villa. Um, and I've always rated Harvey Barnes. And I, you look at the everywhere on on their pitch at the pitch in the moments, and I don't see a noticeable weak link anymore with Newcastle. And you think of what they've done last season; it's it, it'll be a success again for them to get top four again, um, or top five, where it's going to be to qualify for the Champions League. Because obviously, they are going to have to get used to playing, you know, with the Champions League fixtures this season, which is you know going to be a new thing for a lot of those mm. players and, and for them for the manager. So that that might have some effect on them and, and have an impact. So I think it might be too early to say that they're going to be on sort of uh, Arsenal, Man City's level of consistency. But um, I, I I don't think they're going to, they're going to be massively far off. And I, I think if they carry on this trajectory, that they they are scary. <laughs> they've got the money, and they've got the fan base, and they've got some quality players already. And it seems like a really sort of nice dressing room and, and, and a lot of fun to be around. Um, and they do they do concern me as a Liverpool fan. That was Joel Sanderson-Murray, and joining me now in part two to talk Bundesliga, it's Daniel Cadena-Jordan. Hey, hey, thanks for having me, man. How's it going, Danny? Good summer? So far, so good. Weather was a bit shitty a couple of weeks, but uh, now it's warm and sticky as it usually is in Berlin summer. <laughs> Excited to have the Bundesliga back in your life this weekend? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I took a little bit of a break uh, during the summer from the transfer market and all that. So this week has been basically catching up and uh, a lot has happened, actually. Uh, so it's, it's really nice to see how the pieces are going to fall into place this season. 
<laughs> yeah, well, you're a Bayern Munich supporter, of course. Uh, you must yeah. be very excited about your new summer signing, Harry Kane. Is he the answer to Bayern's prayers, do you think? It's definitely um, sort of like a statement signing as well. Like, obviously, he's one of the most complete strikers nowadays, if not the most complete one. Um, he is also a marquee signing in the sense that it's Bayern having two bad seasons of the Champions League and, you know, quote unquote, uh, bad, um, saying, okay, we kind of want to be back in the race, kind of be talked about, but he's not. He's not the only sign that kind of made sense to the team right now, to be honest with you. Who else have uh, Bayern brought in this summer that you, you're looking forward to, to seeing, do you think? Uh, Min Jae Kim seems really good. Mm. I think he, him, Aubameyang, and uh, De Ligt are going to have like a little, you know, triumvirate there in defense. That should be really interesting to watch how they rotate, how they play and everything. Uh, Conrad Leimer is going to be a really um, interesting bet on giving Goretzka more bench time. Um, Goretzka had like a bit of a form dip at one point last season that kind of did translated to worse results, a couple of games lost and everything. So having him on board, Limer, uh guarantees that Byron have this sort of extra guy in admittedly already crowded part of the pitch. Um, <laughs> just add another extra layer of depth and quality that, uh, you know, could keep everybody on their toes, I guess, looking for, you know, better performances all along. Yeah. What, what do those signings, especially Kane, I suppose, do for Bayern as, as a team sort of transformationally and in terms of their goals for this season? Because, you know, won the, won the Bundesliga title again last season, wasn't a great season overall. We're knocked out of the Champions League by Manchester City. Obviously changed coach halfway through. Is Bayern's remit this season, it's, you've got to win the Champions League or, you know, in the coming years, that's that's kind of what Tuchel has got to do to keep his job now. Is there is there greater pressure than ever to, to do that, especially now, now Kane has arrived? I think that there is. Uh, this is the most expensive signing Bayern have done by 20 million. I think it's over 100 million euro, mm-hmm. just about 100 million euro, uh, the, the, the Kane signing. Um, add to that, like I said, there's four new signings of the team. Uh, they're keeping the core of the squad, uh, maybe except for Pavard, uh, on the right side, um, there's still some work to be done there. And, and goal, of course, the the whole you know saga of how to replace a Neuer that can't kick a ball and a summer that has already left. Um, so there's still work to be done in a team that is, I think, going to aim to win everything. I'm not sure they will be able to pull off a Champions League win, but definitely um, the side is, is set on at least being in the semifinals again after a while, missing out basically on games that should have been, well, series that should have been won under Bayern's respect, especially the Villarreal one with Nagelsmann. That was really, really bitter one for the team. And mm-hmm. uh, the way things dragged out against Man City, um, you know, it, it came down to um, Man City being the better team of both, obviously, but also Upamecano being really erratic in one of the two games uh, kind of did cost Bayern what would have been otherwise uh, a salvageable season for, for mm. Nagelsmann. Yeah, it's, uh, you mentioned Neuer there as well. I mean, that's been a bit of a, uh, I don't know if soap opera is the right term, but it's been a it's been a bit of a saga for Bayern this season, what to do with, with the goalkeeper situation. There's been a couple of options. You know, Kepa, Ariza Balaga has gone to Real Madrid. He was an option at one point. David De Gea has been talked about. The talk today is that Bayern are going to p- persist with Sven Ulreich as the number one and, and wait for Neuer to recover his fitness. Is that a good strategy for you? Well, they're also banking on, or apparently discussing with Man City, bringing Ortega, uh, who was a solid number two for, well, for, for for Man City as long as he was there and was really decent in the Bundesliga when he played for, I think it was Bielefeld he was at mm. before that. Um, was- and yeah, the idea sort of like have this sort of like rotation system going on where, you know, you kind of compensate. They're money-balling it, really, it seems. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, De Gea that doesn't seem like a reliable enough solution to solve also the inner dynamic within the whole goalie situation um there was a bit of bitterness on on you know Neuer's side with his personal train uh, goalkeeper coach being fired under Nagelsmann then rehired under Tuchel uh summer coming in was a big debate uh during the summer uh during the winter sorry so yeah I think they're just gonna play it safe Ulrich apparently has had a really good pre- uh, preseason uh so yeah let's say he's just earned the privilege to stay in the conversations final right there <laughs> yeah keep your hands off Stefan Ortega by the way <laughs> love that guy he is fantastic, yeah. <laughs> Going back to, to Harry Kane for a moment there, you know, there's been talk in, in German media over the last week that, you know, he, he's going to raise the, the profile of the Bundesliga, get some people watch it that have perhaps never tuned in before. Do you buy into that? Is it a good thing for the Bundesliga overall that, that Harry Kane has joined the Bundesliga's most successful club that has won the league, what is it, 11 times in a row now? Are they are they dancing <laughs> in the streets of Dar- Darmstadt? <laughs> I mean, it's it's a bit of a paradox because obviously the average fan is you know a bit sick of it uh, that Bayern are winning it every now uh, not every now and then basically every single single season for the past eleven years like you say, but uh, marketing wise I guess the Bundesliga is like a really good opportunity to cater to an English speaking audience. Uh, I you know English speaking players are very seldom in the Bundesliga, good ones even less. Uh, I can just think of what. Kevin Pol- uh, Christian Pulisic. I can think of Jaden Sancho in the day now. Harry Kane. 
Um, and like Harry, Kane, the, Harry Kane only just speaks English, by the way, as well. Barely, so, yeah. barely. But, you know, it, it, it passes. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, the thing is that, yeah, it, it's it's not easy to market a, a league that speaks uh, in a country that speaks a language that is really hard to follow and has a stigma of being basically unlearnable. Um, so every time this sort of profile player comes to the league and joins the team, the real international profile of a player, uh, yeah, the Bundesliga as, uh, let's call it company do rub their hands and just go like, Oh, this is amazing. It's fantastic. Let's make some money out of this. And, um, I think that's sort of like the bet more ratings, uh, coming from the international, uh, market is means maybe a better revenue down the line. So I think that is sort of what, uh, people mean when the Bundesliga are going to make the most of Kane being in Germany. Yeah. Uh, what about that uh, that performance from Bayern in the uh, the German Super Cup at the weekend? Kane made his debut, of course, came off the bench. <laughs> Don't think an awful lot was expected of him. He probably only touched the ball once or twice. But, yeah. you know, Bayern, it was a pretty thorough beating they took from RB Leipzig. Is there uh, any concern there? And um, any concern with um, Tuckle's quotes after the game where he was sort of throwing the players under the bus a little bit, perhaps is the, the correct term for it? He sort of blamed the players and said that he, they looked like they'd not been sort of applying the uh, the stuff they've been learning in training and look like they've not done any training. Is that a concern at all? I mean, uh, I'm, I'm more concerned about the quotes than I am about the 3-0 defeat in the Super Cup. Um, Super Cup, just, is, in my opinion, is like a glorified flat final friendly final test. So yeah. if you're going to crumble, this is the time to do it. Um, so if anything, all the alarms and you know bells going off just before the season starts could be actually a positive down the line. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Tuchel's always been this very, you know, I don't give a damn attitude kind of guy. Uh, he's kind of in this really interesting crunch now within the club because, um, yeah, he brushes off players' egos. It doesn't go go that well with players, obviously. And he talks back to the directors. Uh, it doesn't go well with Uli Hoeneß and company, who are very used to, you know, ha- keeping, you know, control over things. Uh, namely, a good example of that is what happened with Oli Khan and uh, Salih Hamidzic last season that mm. they got, you know, sent basically to the curb packing because, uh, you know, they were just not fitting the, quote, Bayern model that Uli Hoeneß <laughs> has installed during his you know, almost 40 year reign at the club at this point. Um, so yeah, he is a very un- interesting figure, very polarizing. And he does have that sort of um, edge to him where it's, it's kind of never his fault. Uh, it just kind of <laughs> crumbles when he happens to be around coincidentally at the same time. every single time. <laughs> so I don't know, man, like it's going to be interesting to see how he's going to manage that pressure, that locker room and the expectations of again, having spent what 150 million, Euros on Kane, uh, Kim, well, the free transfers of Guerrero, Limer, keeping the squad in place. Um, I don't know. It's it's an interesting bet. He's a proven coach. That's that's the the positive. But the negative uh, that comes at a price when it comes to Thomas Tuchel, doesn't it? Indeed, yeah. I, th- I think that title last season and, and the manner it, in which it was won has probably bought him a little bit of time. But you know, a bad start, and you know, it could it could turn quite toxic. Let's uh, yeah. uh, want to keep an eye on for sure. What about Leipzig? Because they were they were really impressive in that game. Um, sure. They've lost some big players this summer. You know, Josko Gvardiol's gone. Christopher Nkunku's gone. Uh, Conrad Leimer, as you mentioned, uh, Schobersly's gone to Liverpool. You know, that's that's four really important players, and yet they they look really good in this game. Can they challenge for a title this season? Do you think is um, is Marco Rosa going to really show what he's made of? I think that now that Nkunku's gone, Dani Olmo kind of has that sort of responsibility to carry the team forward. He proved that marvelously well in the Super Cup game. If anything, it was a story, that game was a tale of Leipzig being superb, like superb against a Bayern that was still kind of coming back into rhythm. Um, they've lost great figures, like you said, but that brought them in, what, like a quarter billion euro? <laughs> and they've used that money <laughs> wisely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not a bad return, is it? Um, for losing four or five players. Uh, and they've basically just bought really good talent all over the pitch. You know, uh, they brought in Pichabayu from uh, from PSG. They brought Seywald and Zesko from uh, Salzburg, Lukeba from Lyon, mm. uh, Baumgartner from Hoffenheim was a really interesting player in the attack. Uh, Lupendas for a striker as well. Um, Andre Silva also left, which is, a, you know, also like a little side note to that. Um, he was never sort of a good fit there. But my point is that they did all that. They brought Xavi Simmons from PSG as well on the loan. Fabio Carvalho from Liverpool. And they still have 90 million euros to spend. So they're fine. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they do have a team. They have a coach. They have the motivation. They have won two back-to-back Pokals at this point to German Cups. They already won the Super Cup now. Um, if there, if any team is challenging on paper, it should be them. Um, they seem really complete. They seem sound. And they seem to finally understood. To, uh, finally, yeah, get get what Dortmund have been lacking these last years, which is how the hell do we beat Bayern in the big matches? Yeah. Is uh, is German football ready for an RB Leipzig title, do you think? Is that, uh, oh you know, no, there's I, obviously the huge, huge opposition to <laughs> that club and, and their model in Germany. Um, I wonder if, you know, they won the DFB Pokal obviously last season. I wonder if 
maybe that stance is softening at all or probably never will do, will it really? <laughs> a friend of mine described it uh, like Leipzig winning the Bundesliga as if Elon Musk won the presidency of the United States, <laughs> which he can because South African, but I mean, it's the same side of concept like, ah, oh, shit, we've hit, we, we've hit the shithole here, haven't we? Yeah. Like, it's just, uh, it, it just feels wrong. I mean, sports-wise, they do the right thing, invest in youth, with system and this and that, like slow growth, but it's financed by, by well, a corporation that owns five, six clubs around the world that haven't really been um, that loyal to the German way of doing things, which is a very big, you know, no-no in Germany, the 50 plus one rule I'm talking mm-hmm. about specifically. Um, so yeah, I don't think people are going to be welcoming that new king, the King Joffrey of German football, if you will. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's going to be a, 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 a better one to swallow if it, if it comes to happen. I mean, <laughs> it's that bad that people prefer Bayern winning a 12 in a row than having Leipzig just win their first cup. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Uh, league, sorry. <laughs> So as usual, all all hope in uh, German football lies at Dortmund's door. Then I suppose. Oh yeah, that's another. I mean, they lost the league. Bayern didn't win it. No, it's sort of like that kind of story. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's gonna be. It's sort of, a, in my opinion, sort of like a transition year without Bellingham. Uh, sort of like running the show. They brought in not bad signings. I mean, and Mecha's decent for in his own regard. Sabitzer proved himself to be useful for Man United after like kind of like a, it's called a hiatus with Bayern. Um, and he's had like a really good preseason with Dortmund as well. And I think the most interesting player they brought in was Ben Zabaini from Borussia Mönchengladbach on the free, who is, I think, one of the best left backs in, in, in German football, at least, and definitely in Europe. Um, those three players combined can definitely add an edge to the team. Um, Royce also kind of stepping to the side, relinquishing the captaincy, taking a pay cut, and just sort of being that sort of this, you know, drawback character now that just is there to encourage, mentor, accompany, accompany the players, the younger players. Um, that could be interesting, I think, uh, to see how Dortmund gets everything in place this season. I don't know. Uh, I haven't lost hope in them. I mean, the season hasn't even begun, but uh, they've had like, a really decent preseason. Um, so it, it'd be unfair to ride them off right off the bat. That's what I'm trying to get at. Um, and Nimitta is apparently pleasing a lot of uh, what the coach's wishes of having him. Basically, this really quick uh, box-to-box midfielder that is just everywhere, apparently. Um, and I don't know. I think that is going to be sort of like the edge what can how can they replace the Bellingham effect in Dortmund if you will yeah anyone else you're particularly looking forward to watching in the Bundesliga this season I'm thinking Xabi Alonso's by Leverkusen for example yes I mean there's 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 an interesting top seven this season because there's been seven clubs that have done really well in the market. Leverkusen, I think, is definitely number four uh, in the ranking right now. They first thing they did was re-sign Leverkusen, Xavi um, Alonso, for another season. Uh, so he's here for not this season, not just this season, but the next one. So that pressure's mm-hmm. kind of off. They've given him basically all he wanted. He wanted Grimaldo for the left. Uh, they've gotten Kovar as a second goalie from Manchester United after Hradetsky's been kind of iffy for the past six months and not the best form. Arthur comes from America Minas Gerais in Brazil. Jonas Hoffman from Gladbach is a really interesting signing. Brandon Schacke from Arsenal obviously is, I think, the marquee signing of this uh, of this summer, giving them sort of this leadership figure they kind of been lacking recently. Uh, and, of course, Victor Bonifaz, who is there to be their all-in-all striker now, who used to play for Union mm. Saint-Germain. Yeah, the, he looked sort of really good last season. Yeah, yeah. It was really, really good. And next to them, I would say definitely what Union are doing in the market, Union Berlin. Yes. They've, they've dropped, I'm not lying when I say, about 11, 12 players, and they've replaced them with other 12 players of considerably better quality. So they seem to have learned the lesson from their sort of like debut and marquee seasons in Europe. Um, and now they're doing the Champions League. So they're bringing in talent. Apparently Kevin Fulton is still supposed to, to come as well to like even reinforce a bit more um, what they already have. But I mean, Lucas, Lucas Tussar for 2 million from, from Hertha. Uh, they brought in Alexander Schwolo from Hertha. Gossens from, uh, from Inter. Um, another good name is definitely Fofana being on the loan from Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Aronson from, from Leeds. Alex Kroll, who is from Spartak Moscow, but in Germany they knew him from his half season with Schalke last season. He was basically a really, really interesting player to watch. So I'm getting it as that they have this really, really round squad that, on top of everything, has now five youth players playing with the first team for the first time in ages. So it's just a really interesting team to see how it's evolved very organically without spending much. I think it's like under 30 million what they spend this summer, basically rebuilding a team to compete in the Champions League, contend maybe for next season Champions League participation as well, and definitely at least a European um, spot as well as the clubs, uh, the, the, the Cups. So there's definitely going a lot going on there. And the other one would have to be hands down uh, Wolfsburg against all, a, a lot of you know um, a lot of people were expecting to happen. They lost two players in Mecha and Van de Ven. It was about seventy million euros, mm-hmm. and they brought in basically enough talent to fix every single thing that was 
you know, leaky last season uh, for Nico Kovacs. So I think those teams in particular, that order, I'd say, would be three ones to watch. Eintracht Frankfurt is always interesting to see what they do in the market. They get really good bargain deals. Apparently, Kolomuani might not end up leaving. So that could be um, something to watch, definitely. I think those seven teams could definitely do justice to the Bundesliga that has kind of been stale over the past couple of years. Daniel Cadena Jordan there. And now in the third and final part to give us the league earn lowdown, it's Luca Ibord. Hi, guys. Hi, Dan. Hey, Lucas. How's it going? Good summer? I'm good and good. Yes. Well, uh, summer in Berlin, so lots of rain. <laughs> yeah, lots of rain and, and humidity. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, Heading towards autumn now, so we can uh, we can look forward to the football season getting started. And uh, yeah, French football is already back underway. It's been a an interesting season for for lots of clubs. Uh, perhaps most notably PSG. Uh, we'll start talking about them today. They've had a very interesting summer reset, I would say. Do you think they've they've got it right so far in terms of bringing the new coach? Um, uh, you know, some very big players leaving, some new players coming in. I don't know. It's uh, always kind of the same with PSG. You know. Um... There's like this circle of life. Um, it's a big <laughs> summer, big signings, new coach, uh, new rules. Everyone's going to be like uh, everyone on shape and everything. And then they are really strong during the uh, Champions League um, group stage and then arrive the knockout and they go out and <laughs> then it's start over again. So I don't know. Let's see how this season goes. But yeah, it was a crazy summer indeed. Yeah. Has it been kind of a clear strategy for them to maybe get rid of some of the egos in the dressing room and bring in some players who were a bit younger and hungrier and perhaps don't have the, that big ego? The problem is they got the bigger ego is still here. It's Kylian Mbappé, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. It's like, yeah, they, they did a little revolution with a new coach, Luis Enrique, obviously. They brought a, a lot of new players, as you said. Uh, Hernandez, Crinia, uh, Asensio, Dembele, uh, Gonzalo Ramos as well. So, yeah, and they got rid of Messi and Neymar, obviously. Um, but, yeah, Mbappe. Mbappe is still the biggest um, talking point every day uh, in France. Um, and at this point, I'm, I'm not really sure what he really wants. And like he loves PSG, he loves Real Madrid, but it looks like he loves himself a bit more than that. <laughs> so I don't know. PSG pretended to be very strong uh, with him this summer. You know, they cut him uh, from the squad uh, from the Japan tour. Uh, but in the end, uh, if you look at the the overall picture, uh, he still doesn't have a new contract, so he's free next summer. Uh, PSG did uh, did what he wanted, so they got rid of Neymar, Messi. All the Latino players as well. There were rumors mm. that he didn't want them at the club. Um, and yeah, so he's, and, and uh, yeah, I don't know. So is it going to work? Because and now uh, after the, the first uh, match day, which was uh, last weekend against Lorient, they drew. Um, like you could felt uh, the Luis Enrique's touch already in the, in the mm. football, but they, they lacked of uh, um, power in front, up front. So obviously they got now Mbappe back in the squad because they need him, obviously. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure how it works all together because, yeah, they did basically the same as they do all the time. So... Will he, will it be successful this season? I hope for them. Uh, I don't hope for myself, but um, yeah, <laughs> let's see how it goes. <laughs> you think there's any chance that Mbappe signs a new contract now? Because I, I heard that there's, um, it's, it's against the rules in France, isn't it, to have a release clause, but it is possible to have a kind of private gentleman's agreement kind of thing that will sell you for this amount next summer or something like that. Do you think that could, that could happen and it'll go to Real Madrid next year? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's possible. And But the thing is, yeah, every summer we said, okay, next summer Mbappe is going to Madrid. And then he stays at PSG. So, yeah, like the, the the main rumors now is saying that he will sign a new contract and uh, he, he might leave for Real Madrid next season. But in this saga, we never know. So everything can happen. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. You mentioned, of course, Neymar has, has left PSG after six years. What was it, ninety million euros they got for him? It's- yeah. Perhaps uh, you know not a bad fee, really, and he's uh, he becomes accumulatively the most expensive player in history. What do you think his legacy will be in Paris? Because obviously, you know, he won lots of trophies there, uh, the league earned title. You know, he was brought to win the Champions League, though that didn't happen. Is that going to be um, how he'll be remembered as as a bit of a failure overall? Mm, I, I don't know. I mean, Neymar is kind of an artist, you know, so you have to take him for what it is. Uh, for and yeah, he did some uh, crazy stuff in PSG. The first six months, he was completely crazy. I mean, what he did on the, on the <laughs> pitch was really yeah. like he was a magician, you know. Like kind of, uh, I mean, for the PSG fan, it was kind of uh, to have uh, Ronaldinho back. Like what he was doing on the on the pitch was really really crazy. 
Um, but in the end, as you said, uh, he was here for the Champions League uh, and they didn't get him. But the thing is, PSG never got the Champions League. With, uh, they had uh, Rai in the 90s, uh, also Leonardo. They had uh, Ibrahimovic, obviously. Uh, all these mm. big players in the same uh, target, with the same target, and it still didn't happen. So let's see. But about Neymar, I would say he had uh, great six great seasons. Obviously, he was a lot injured. Uh, but... I don't know. I think PSG fans, like they did for uh, Javier Pastore, on a smaller lo- lo- level, of course, but like they still have this feeling of yeah, we enjoyed this guy for like six years, mm. you know, and yeah, we we, enough, we yeah. saw proper magic happening on the Parc des Princes. So yeah, yeah. And, and what about the Champions League for PSG this year? I feel like you know we, I used the word reset earlier. It, it sort of feels like that with with Luis Enrique. Is that going to be his? His goal this season, is that what's expected of him to win the Champions League or is there going to be a bit more patience with him than perhaps there was with Pochettino, for example, or or even with uh, the last coach? Uh, I, I've, I've talked to, to a couple of uh, PSG fans uh, before this uh, podcast and it, it feels like everyone is saying like, okay, let's give time to Luis Enrique. And I feel like PSG is going to do the same. Uh, obviously, we're going to need to see some like good play on the pitch like because with Pochettino, with Tuchel... Uh, and uh, lately also with, um, I forgot, uh, with Galci, of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the football was not, not great. Uh, so, yeah, they were winning games because they had Neymar, Mbappé, Messi, obviously. Um, but, yeah, football-wise, it was not great. And it feels like with Luis Enrique, there is hope for this. So they might give him a bit of time. Uh, and also, yeah, I heard a lot of, uh, of times the, the word transition for this season. Mm. In a club like PSG, I'm not sure there is such thing uh, <laughs> because, yeah, you have to deliver at the end of the day. So, but it looks like, yeah, fans also are thinking like, okay, let's forget about Champions League. Let's focus on Liga and the Cup. And in the Champions League, let's see what happens. And maybe it's the way you have to, you know, to act to maybe put a little of pressure off and to, in the end, deliver maybe something that's never happened for PSG. So let's see. Yeah. Yeah, I feel a little bit bad, by the way, about bringing up the Champions League because it's probably a little bit of a sore point for you as a Marseille fan at the moment after what happened to your boys the other night. What did happen to your boys against Panathinaikos the other night? Well, I ask you, uh, Michael Oliver is a <laughs> British uh, referee and he... <laughs> hey, we take no responsibility for him. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm devastated. Um, to be honest, it was not only him. Uh, it was also the uh, first leg was terrible, uh, referee-wise, mm. but also football-wise for Marseille was terrible. I don't know, just no luck uh, at all. Uh, we have a couple of, uh, of goals ruled out, ruled out. Sorry, by uh, Vieira. Um, one, I still don't know why. Uh, then the penalty shootout. You know, uh, France national team and also the clubs. We have terrible records. I think we we got the English England curse now. I'm, I'm afraid of that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, let's see. But to be frank, it's just the, the way it happened. It was really terrible for us. Um, Marseille, I think, at the moment, is more a European League uh, team than a Champions League one. Mm. So, overall, let's see what happens. But I, I'm kind of confident that Marcelino is going to play the Europa League uh, 100% and we can do like something like, I don't know, quarterfinal, semifinal. And that would be better than getting off the Champions League group. I mean, not getting off the Champions League group. So, yeah, yeah. let's see. Yeah, do you feel optimistic about the future under Marcelino? And, you know, you've got uh, Aubameyang has come in to the club this summer. That seems like a, a pretty smart signing. Um, he's got a couple of goals. Are you, are you looking forward to the season ahead? It, it is a kind of an exciting season, yes, because um, it, it will depend on how Marcelino, Marcelino uses uh, the players, like the likes of Ndiaye, uh, Sa, Unai, Aubameyang, Vitinha. We have a lot of good players, Harit as well. Um but it's all, I mean, the first two games of the season were kind of, we were waiting uh, really, we were dropping really deep, waiting for the counters. And that's not what Marseille fans want, you know. Uh, the the motto of the club is droit au but, we need to score goals, we need to go forward. Mm. So, but we have so many talents. Like last season, we did great only because of Sanchez, let's be honest. We had only him. Uh, Sengiz mm. under as well was okay, but... Yeah, if uh, not for Sanchez, we would have not done the third place in the league. So now we have the talents, we have the the players. Let's see what uh, Marcelino does with that. But the, also the problem with Marseille is uh, Pablo Longoria is always trying to 
buy and sell players. I don't know if if he mm. got commission or what. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there were rumors about that in Marseille because like every summer we bring like ten players and we get rid of fifteen ones. So it's like <laughs> a bit crazy, and it's always like you have to rebuild stuff with a new coach with new players. So it's not that easy. But for now, it's well. What happened in the last three years was three times on the podium. So kind of mm. works. But also in Marseille, we won trophies. You know. Um, yeah, yeah. even if it's a cup even if it's like uh, European uh, Conference League I don't know but Marseille fans need trophies and that's not been delivered for a while now so yeah let's see let's see how it goes yeah yeah. One player you've said uh, of war to this summer is Dimitri Payet, who's gone to Vasco da Gama. I, I thought that seems like a sort of random transfer generator, that or something. It almost like, you know, it just, it's just so such a weird transfer. But what will his uh, what will his legacy at Marseille be, do you think? And, and what do you think of that move to, to Brazil for him? Well, I was talking about trophies. He didn't have any in his 10 years career. <laughs> so that's a blow for him. And actually, the- yeah. he wanted very bad to, to win something with Marseille. And, uh, but... Can I say he's a Marseille legend? I think I can. Uh, <laughs> because he's got so many bangers. I mean, you just go on YouTube and check his video yeah. highlights. The goal he scored was crazy. And he is the kind of player Marseille fans want with kind of a bit of magic. So, And I'm really happy for him that he went to uh, Vasco because, I mean, he could have gone to uh, Saudi Arabia or something like this, I'm sure. Yeah. But he kind of chose like the passion and he wanted... Yeah. He, he needs to feel something with the fans as well. And he knows that in Brazil, they can do that for him. So it's kind of a cool signing. Very hipster. Yeah, he'll have fun over there, I think. And they'll, yeah. ha- they'll have fun watching him, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think he's, uh, you said, he, is he a Marseille legend? I think he's probably a West Ham legend as well. And uh, talking of players who've uh, played in uh, League Earn moving to the Premier League is uh, one that's the subject of a lot of transfer speculation for my club, Manchester City at the moment. Jeremy Doku, yes. uh, Belgian youngster, potentially moving uh, from Rennes. Uh, what sort of player are Manchester City going to be getting if they sign him? Uh, very strong, very fast, clever player. So I think the last word "clever" is uh, good for Pep. Uh, that's what he mm. wants. Um, he's still a young player; he's 21. Uh, so he's yeah, uh, he lacks a bit of composure in front of the goal. Um, and in France, we expected him to score and assist a bit more. Like his first season, he's got two goals and three assists in 30 games. So he, he was really good on the pitch, but he, yeah, he needed to deliver a bit more on the on the score sheet. Um, and then after this first season, he got like he was injury prone in the last two seasons, and that was a bit. Yeah, I think he played like less than twenty games in twenty one, twenty two. Last season was a bit better, thirty five, thirty yeah, thirty five games, something like this, and he scored seven goals. He's still young; he can improve. Um, but yeah, he needs to be a bit better in front of the goal. But I think he would fit well uh, on the wing with Pep. Uh, very good in uh, one versus one. His dribbling skills is pretty strong. Kind of uh, so, yeah. He's a good replacement for Mares for sure. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Thank you, Luca. Well, that is all for this episode of the One Football Podcast. We're going to be coming at you each week on a Thursday this season, so stay tuned. And if you'd like to get a question or a comment into the show, the email address is podcast at onefootball.com. Take care and we'll see you next time.